Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. In this episode I continue my conversation with Yev Kashin. In part 1, Yev talked about his early career and how the idea of connecting objects in motion came up. In part 2 of my conversation with Yev Kashin, the CTO and founder of Demo, digital infrastructure for moving objects with a goal to build something disruptive, continues to share his story and shares his thoughts and experiences related to how he decided to start up demo finding a partner and picking a few use cases in the automotive space that need to be addressed the experience of launching a company as a team of four founders and why that was needed to address the large problem space that they are addressing getting together during covid taking up a couple of consulting assignments to validate their assumptions and increasing the confidence of the need and what demo could do He then talks about the role of a chief architect particularly in a close team of founders when different founders had their individual roles defined to ensure that there is little overlap but together they address various parts of the roadmap he also shares his personal style of being a servant leader and the need for various teams to come together and how he keeps track of evolving technologies and identifying the right ones for demo he also shares the tech stack that they're using and how leaving things with the persons closest to the code or the customers empowers individuals to bring out the best even with multiple teams how consistency of user experience is ensured and leveraging the large community with testing validation etc to help rapid iteration has been helping demo the implication of personal and shared data preferences in making a connected system effective is something that he touches upon and how demo addresses that through fine grain options to the users to let them be in charge of their data the role of smart contracts in the demo ecosystem and how that lets other players also come in as contributors he shares his views on electric vehicles and alternative fuel vehicles and the implication of complex software that may be energy guzzling and the implication of recycling for battery powered vehicles finally he shares his career tips related to entering the automotive solution space a wonderful conversation we had to cut it short because of the time constraints hope to get you back again sometime soon listen on you've been uh, you know mentioning a lot of things that are being conceived that have been created by demo Uh, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the demo origin story. You know, what was it that brought you to demo? Uh, mm-hmm. How did the you said you were also a consultant? From there, uh, mm-hmm. how did the startup bug bite you? And uh, how did this founding team come together? Because I have a, a couple of questions related to that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, th- so 
demo, you know, really is like, the, like I said, the summary of my, you know, like 10 years in the automotive space. And I would like to say I've seen quite a bit of um, different problems and different solutions in that time. So the, um, the I think the point where demo really came together was actually when I met my uh, co-founder, Andy, and um, he was working at Waymo at the time. And Andy's background, it was in transportation and mine was in connected vehicle. And we were we realized that we were talking about the same kind of problems, which is a lot of the things we've been talking about on this call here. And we thought, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we tried to actually solve this problem? And uh, at the same time was when, you know, we saw the rise of blockchain in the last few years. And we're, we are leveraging uh, blockchain technology, but we're using it in a slightly different way than a lot of a lot of other companies are. We really look at it as a global uh, database for transportation and publicly available DMV data. So, which I, I know there's a lot in there to unpack, but uh, there are certain use cases that blockchains are good for, and publicly readable information is one of them. So, putting together our separate, our separate but also very similar experiences, you know, the rise of recent technologies. We saw kind of, uh, I guess, where it's all come going and also how we could leverage what's happening today to help solve this problem of uh, a more connected, smarter world with smarter cars, smarter transportation, and um, better alignment between uh, developers, ecosystems, cities, riders, passengers, and um, how to build that in a much more open and aligned way. How did this team come together? Because one thing that uh, I was curious about was usually you find that there is one founder, sometimes probably founder and a co-founder. Mm -hmm. And here I see a team that's yes. also founders. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so that is um, a, we do have four founders on the team, which is probably our biggest asset. You know, a lot of people are are like, you have a lot of founders. Like, yeah. Um, well, we're building something very big, right? And when you're building something really big, it takes you know, it takes an army. So the the team started originally with uh, me and Andy, and uh, then Alex and Rob came on board. And generally speaking, we all bring different perspectives. So uh, some of us bring more of the automotive or the transportation angle, or the blockchain angle, or let's say the um, marketing sales angle. So we uh, have put all these things together into creating Demo. And, um, you know, we, I guess, I, I hope I'm answering your question, but we we met during COVID, um, actually, uh, through, through a mutual friend. And uh, we were, uh, we, we originally started with a bit of a uh, consulting shop, uh, trying to figure out what exactly we wanted to build and eventually settled on this idea after getting some good market feedback about uh, people really do want to own their data and people do want a more more uh, open uh, ecosystem. Okay. So uh, I fully get that you know, the task ahead is pretty big and you need all that. Uh, mm -hmm. But when different people bring in different perspectives, um, even in software development, Mm -hmm. uh, we have these two models of having completely autonomous teams, but still you need a chief architect. Yes, yes. Someone who probably kind of orchestrates everything together or has the bigger picture. So mm -hmm. in a, a close team of uh, multiple founders, how do mm -hmm. you 
get to a consensus on alignment mm-hmm. so that you can prioritize what you want to do that that makes sense yes so we uh so we all um let's say run different parts of the roadmap because there is so much to what we're building um it actually allows us to have to some extent very little overlap in terms of um let's say epics that i'm responsible for versus other co-founders are responsible for so um while i do take on the role of you know chief architect cto uh, i'm generally a I like to say a servant leader um a, a, on a, a on a uh, on a day-to-day basis and i do take a lot of input from my team on how we should build things um and you know with with a lot of um the software that we're building kind of being very new and early uh it does require you know a whole team to come together in order to figure out how to integrate all of these technologies together um demo has you know a, a large mix of we have embedded you know we we have embedded code we have you know your standard web2 infrastructure running on a cloud server we have smart contracts we have a mobile app we have a web app right so um it takes i would say it takes a whole team to really integrate all of these things together we work very closely with one another to make sure that it all works together and we can solve this complexity um in a very nice way and better than it's been done before so i i try, i do try to leverage my 10 years of seeing four to five different connected vehicle products come together and seeing their benefits their downsides what worked what didn't in terms of in, into this product here uh blockchain is hard connecting 10 million vehicles to the internet is hard it's even harder to do them all at once <laughs> yeah, you kind of partially answered my next question that is as a cto how do you keep track of all these technologies and choose the appropriate ones or in your case i'm assuming that you'll also be inventing something new to fill the white spaces Yes, yes. So, yeah. secret sauce. <laughs> uh our secret sauce to be honest is uh is our great team and hard work. I'm not big about talking about tools, but I'm but I can, but in terms of our tech stack, we use uh a lot of go because I've, you know, coming from a long time of java, I found that it uh saves quite a bit on resources and allows us to write quite robust software. um you know we write react we use react on our front end and our mobile applications i'm a big big kubernetes fan myself so any you know w- layer 2 web 2 services that we're running um are running on that and in terms of you know project management of all these things we really uh try to have our engineers be the engineering leaders on the team mm-hmm. so uh we've actually got we've actually just been uh, operating without a pm and letting the engineers so manage their own backlog any way they like. So, you know, today we use Trello, we used to use Jira. Generally speaking, I think the right approach is to leave uh leave as much as possible to the person who's closest to the code and to put them as close as possible to the customer. You know, obviously from the leadership team level, we uh we've we've built a roadmap and things uh things come from come from there, but um his, you know, historically I've used I think almost every type of uh project management and uh, alignment software in the world and at the end day it really does come down to people on the team to leverage those tools because those tools will not um uh, will not deliver value for you it's the it's the people that are uh that are using them that well 
with the autonomy of teams, how what do you do to ensure a consistent user experience, which has to be consistent yeah. over time as well? Yeah. So ensuring consistency is something that one that we we actually spend a lot of time on. One interesting thing I think that we're doing, because I think consistency is kind of getting into testing and QA as well. Um, we actually don't have a QA team, but what we do have is a very large community in our uh, in our chat. So we all have almost 7,000 members in there. We have some uh, people in the community that are very, very close to the project. Let's say, and to some extent, help us with the consistency side of this. They are not on our team, but they help us test the code. They help us validate the code. They give us very frequent feedback on what's working, what doesn't. And through that rapid iteration with uh, people that have joined the project from the community side is how I really think we deliver that consistency and experience and quality by making sure that they love it first and foremost before we even release it to the rest of the demo community. Probably slightly different question now in terms of data, since you talk about the data and privacy and everybody owning that data. Mm-hmm. For the space that you're talking about in terms of mobility, mm-hmm. It has to have some basis for which the different, say, people or the uh, personal data has to work together. And uh, when people selectively share more or less, do you think that's going to degrade the overall experience of having a connected ecosystem? Uh, that's uh, that's interesting. So I think it's uh, it's more of a human question uh, than anything yes. else. <laughs> But what I would say is, no, I think it will actually enable more trust in in the product itself. Uh, having you know, having spent time at OnStar and Eris and you know Volkswagen and Ford, what we found is if you give somebody an option and a better option, uh, in terms of connectivity, and you make it clear what they're getting, um, they will not essentially shut off their connected vehicle subscription, right? I I don't think that allowing somebody to choose their privacy level will degrade the experience. I think it will actually improve it because a lot of people today and younger generations have hesitancy around sharing their data. And a lot of it goes into who am I sharing it with and what is it for? So giving a user an, a, a precise set of toggles that says, here is who can use my data and who cannot, will um, make it likely easier and a better experience for everybody. And I'll give you one example of this. So as part of the joining uh, as part of joining demo network, um, you essentially opt into some very high level aggregated data that is not your location or you know your uh, let's say PII, right? And I think splitting apart the data monetization away from what makes, the world better for everybody is an important aspect. And uh, let me be more specific with that. Sharing, for example, the weather uh, from your vehicle is something that would improve, improve, you know, essentially create a, a new way for people to gather that. Uh, road quality is something that is not PII information, right? And all of these things are something that affects everybody, but is very, but is currently one not collected by any other connected vehicle programs, and cities actually pay to someone else to collect it. So 
creating and creating a way for someone to connect their vehicle and and be, you know kind of as part of opting in you're okay with the public utility side of it and separating it away from whether you want to sell this data to a hedge fund i think is uh those two toggles and creating those separately is what's going to create that trust initially but also allow people to opt into applications and, or revenue that they want to get on top of the basic connectivity essentially that can benefit everybody when whether that's traffic whether that's you know weather whether that's road quality um or vehicle performance even you touched upon the regulations that vary internationally or probably even state to state or city to city yeah uh, so how do you build that in yeah so so, so this is the part where actually the I know the blockchain space has been getting a lot of bad um let's say bad uh bad press recently yeah. but at the same time uh you know this is where the smart contracts actually become very useful right so if you remove the you know selling images or online or you know trading money for other money out of it Smart contracts core use case is actually what you just described which is I want to create a set of rules that can that can be different by region that anybody can access globally and anybody can add right which creates a nice nice open plane for people to for device manufacturers such as car OEMs to integrate with somebody like a city who is who could be anywhere in the world right and today this is very much handled through consult you know this integration sort of handled through consulting companies or very closed source software that's uh contracted out to one company to build on a per city basis so coming to a standard that we can all get around uh would make this integration between city and device manufacturer much easier because you can set these rules dynamically when somebody is essentially registering their vehicle as opposed to well to be fair this world is very non digital today <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. um as an as a car oem what you have to do is uh you know take a union of all of the regulations worldwide and take the hardest one and design around that so it would be a much better world if when the car came off the ship it had uh it had an api that it could call and say what are the regulations here and let me apply those <laughs> i'm probably making a very simplistic uh assumption here that when you talk about all these autonomous vehicles and all that that they are likely to be electric vehicles by the time electric vehicles are let's say uh mass deployed i strongly believe they will be almost exclusively electric uh, yeah. because the follow on question is related to that uh, yeah. we talk about using electric vehicles or alternative fuel vehicles to reduce the overall you know the carbon footprint right but would the compute requirements for all the things that uh, you've been talking about mm-hmm. kind of offset that at least a little bit because you do talk about blockchain and others uh, yeah. being very very energy intensive mm-hmm. so um so i think i think that's a good question and uh, helps me uh, what's gives me some a chance to clarify something as well so um the vehicle itself does not run a blockchain node right and but just speaking more generally about the space i think we're what we're seeing now is a large move from 
you know, from proof of work to proof of stake, which will address a lot of the, let's say, power consumption issues. So, um, but uh, yeah, to I guess to answer your question, there will not, I, I don't foresee, I, I foresee uh, the blockchain space getting more and more green, probably faster than um, than the electric vehicles will, uh, will launch um, at this point in time, specifically because it, one, it, turn, it turns out there was not a very good reason for it to be that energy intensive. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you know, it, we, we don't want to live in a world where software, a piece of software generates that much CO2 for, for the atmosphere. But I think you also touched on uh, something there about, you know, alternative fuel vehicles and expectations around them as opposed to reality. So, and I, I'll kind of t- tie this back to, you know, early 1900s again. Nowadays, it's full known that cars pollute the, pollute the earth and are bad for the planet. But, um, you know, in the early 1900s, when this first started happening, nobody was like, huh, I wonder if this will be a problem, right? So having learned, you know, learning a bit from our mistakes of last time, you know, as we move toward alternative vehicles, you have to think about how can this uh, go wrong? And I think the very simple way it can go wrong is, well, what's going to happen with the batteries in 10 years? Because as we all know, battery manufacturing is not a clean, uh, is, is very, very much not a clean business. Right. So if you, so if we hope to achieve, you know, uh, what we expect out of these um, alternative fuel methods, we need to take some extra steps to make sure it happens. With a battery vehicle, it really comes down to recycling, for example, right? And reuse. So because an average car has a, a or new electric vehicles, I should say, has, you know, 10, uh, essentially a thousand iPhone batteries or more in it. And if you don't recycle it correctly, you know, it's going to end up in a junk pile. It will be, we'll be living in essentially, a, a you know, a, a nuclear disaster of an earth, <laughs> uh, but just from car batteries themselves. And um, the other problem we're seeing with alternative fuels is, you know, sometimes new issues arise, like uh, batteries catch on fire. And based on my experience here in the automotive space over the 10 years, auto, you know, automotive manufacturers don't necessarily actually collect all that data. So um, as we found out with GM's recalls, you know, GM does not actually know which bolts had to have a bad battery and which ones do not. And this is, to some extent, you know, not their fault. This is a summary of regulations and how they've done things in the past where they don't kind of don't want to collect the data because they don't want to be readily responsible for every problem, right? So then it comes down to, okay, well, then who is collecting the battery health and who is going to recycle it? And that's where, you know, coming back to what Demo is, allow- is allowing a human to do is when they buy their car to collect the data from their vehicle, and as long as they have it, I can guarantee you there will be a battery recycler on the other end who will be more than happy if they know if this is a good battery or a bad battery, mm-hmm. right away be able to know, can I put it in another car? Can I remanufacture it? And cre- you know, creating that loop early on in this alternative fuel ch- um, change that we're going through will, uh, will be the deciding factor between whether we will actually live in a cleaner world or it will kind of turn out like last time. <laughs> Yeah, I, have, uh, I think there are so many different dimensions that I guess we can probably go on for a long time, but then we do have a limit in terms of how long we yeah. can have this episode. So one question that uh, I would like to get your inputs on is uh, particularly with your view of the technology landscape, mm-hmm. uh, 
for two segments of people somebody who's considering a career in this space or somebody who wants to switch to this space okay uh, what would be your advice starting with uh, whether they should even consider this now or is it still a little premature wait for some time or is it something that is fit only for people with certain skills or certain aptitudes and so on no i i think that anybody can enter this space and you know i've seen this in building demo and hiring as well we've hired people from all backgrounds all walks of life you know if you making a switch is really just about is just about executing it we there's certain types types of experience that certainly helps you know in in terms of getting ramped up but uh one of the most interesting things is you you know in software you always find how um knowledge of one let's say SDK or protocol or uh ecosystem can readily be applied to another one so one interesting um uh, thing that i've discovered through my uh through my time getting more into you know distributed computing and blockchain spaces is writing good um smart contracts or distributed software is in a lot of ways like writing very good embedded software um and it, because it kind of has the same constraints that it has to run run under it has to be very efficient it has to you know it has to be fast and it has to be very robust so one example is we had somebody who was actually a um you know a, an assembly line um PLC programmer that is now moving into writing smart contracts and a lot of people don't know these things but they're actually very similar in terms of how you have to think about them and the engineering practices and tool and well not tools but engineering practices that you have to consider so those kinds of little um i guess gifts in engineering where you will find that uh certain thing that certain things do translate actually quite well and you can leverage experience uh from your previous uh from your previous work on your next one i would say so i would say that's on the software side now with vehicles and connected vehicle in general real world i think that is that is actually probably the largest switch for most people a lot of the software that you know that is gets written today is either a mobile app with a back end or a you know a web app with a back end and once you start tying in you know the iot aspect of connectivity and sell your you know connectivity loss as the car is driving you start tying in you know the embedded code on the device and it's the it's like it's a, the real world aspect of problem solving that makes it far more challenging and i would say is that if people are willing to take on that challenge it is extremely rewarding to get into on that reassuring note uh, thank you here for uh, coming on the show and sharing your experience and perspectives uh thank you for, thank you so much for having me uh hope we uh, hope uh, to be back again We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast@pm-powerconsulting.com.